today is a day that we remember the inauguration of the gospel becoming real on earth when Jesus stepped out of the grave and stepped in, into new life. Uh, and, uh, and those that, that would, would believe in Jesus have that new life uh, given to them as well. We're in a series called Shadow and Light. And one thing that I've be- become convinced of in my relationship with Jesus is though, even though that I follow Jesus, I'm still prone toward the darkness. There's something in me that prefers to just stay as close as I can to the light and, and to dabble in the darkness. And I can remember uh, whenever I was about 10 years old, uh, <clears throat> realizing this, realizing this, uh, just this tension of me wanting to lean more in that direction than ever before. I've got 40, 49 cents in my hand. And this 49 cents, every time I've changed my pocket, just reminds me of my tendency uh, to lean into the darkness instead of going into the light. And so here's the deal about this money is that uh, my mom used to always leave money on the counter in our bathroom uh, every afternoon when she got home from work. And, uh, you know, as I was getting older, I started to realize, hey, I need money for things, mom. I need to go play video games. I need to buy baseballs because I keep hitting them over into my neighbor's yard. I need to buy things with money. And so I remember one day going to my mom and asking, hey, mom, can I borrow some of that money that you have on the counter? And she said, oh, sure, honey, go ahead and borrow it. And from time to time, I would ask her for money. But then I got this good, good idea that, the, that I could actually get more money than what she was giving me if I just went into the bathroom at night when she was asleep and began to take some of that money for myself. And so it started. First it was, you know, just a quarter here, a quarter there as a young 10-year-old boy. And then I saw that I had this pattern of deceit. So I would go into the bathroom at night and I would take like two-thirds of the money. Not like, not three-quarters because that would be too obvious, but you know, just two-thirds of it. You know, if there was a dollar bill, I would leave it there and just take a little bit of the change or whatever. And then I would, I, I turned into this ATM for my friends. So my, uh, it, was, it was a way for me to gain popularity in the school. So if my friends needed money for whatever, they would come to me because I always had a little bit of a cash flow as a 10-year-old boy. And then, uh, you know, over the next year, what became clear to me is that my mom wasn't as dumb as I thought she was. Can I get an amen, parents? And so I'm taking a little bit here and a little bit there. She lets this go on for about nine months. And over the course of nine months, I, I steal probably somewhere in the ballpark of $250 from my mom. And she realizes it, and then she... She calls me to the counter one night. She hears the, the change jangling in the, in the bathroom, and she wakes up, flips on the light, and all of a sudden, everything was exposed. I was caught like a little kid with my hand in the cookie jar. And she says, hey, Ryan, we need to go to the kitchen table right now. And so we went to the kitchen table, and inside of me were all of these alibis that were coming out. And I said things like this, hey, you know, Mom, I just didn't think I needed to ask. You gave me money so much that I thought I could just come in and take it whenever I needed it. And then I had this other alibi that was kind of like this. Hey, Mom, you don't really need that change. I mean, you've got a job. I mean, I'm just kind of a poor little beggar. I need that money more than you. And then the last one was my favorite, where I accused her of, of, of the greater offense being hers for accusing me of such a crime. I mean, it was just, we were going back and forth. But in that moment, here's what I realized. That I am a shadow man. And as I read the Bible, as I, was, as I got older, what I realized is that we're all shadow people. 
This is the exact reason why Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, whenever they were realized to be sinners, whenever they disobeyed God, they went and they hid themselves. And you and I have spent our entire lives hiding. What I want to show you today from the Bible is how the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection invites us to walk into the light and out of the darkness. We don't have to live this double life anymore because Jesus has risen from the dead. We can fully walk into the light. We can fully walk into the goodness of who he is. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to open up uh, this morning. Uh, we're, going to be, we're going to start in Luke chapter 22. Here's the big idea of where we're going today. is that Jesus invites us out of the shadows and into His light. And the way that we're going to look at this today is how the truth of the resurrection of Christ became real in one man's life. And so we're going to look at kind of a, a, a pre-conversion and a post-conversion Peter. Simon Peter. We're going to look at his life and see how the gospel changes his life. And my hope is that we would be open to what God has for us through that goodness. So let's pray together as we get in the Word. Father, we, uh, we ask that your Word would, uh, would, would, would cut us today. Um, that, it would, that it would bring truth to our hearts. That we would realize that we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to We don't have to disappear into the shadows of sin, but we can walk fully in your light because you love us and you never leave us. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we get into Luke 22 here, here's my question. Who is this guy named Simon Peter? Who's this joker in the Bible? Well, he's this kind of boisterous personality. He's pretty courageous. Sometimes he's a coward, but he's always the guy that's going to step up to the challenge. You know what I'm talking about? You know that kid in school that's like, hey man, I'll do it. I don't care how much money you want to give me for this, this challenge, but I'm going to do it. Simon Peter was kind of that guy. I mean, one time, Peter even cuts off this guy's ear. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of a crazy guy. He's a guy that you want on your team, if you know what I'm saying. So here's what we know about Peter, that he's called from the boat. He's a fisherman. He raised, he's raised up as a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. Now he's a fisherman. His brother was a fisherman. He meets this guy named Jesus one day. And Jesus is this rabbi, and this rabbi Jesus calls Peter to follow him. And so he's fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and one day he drops his net. And he, he, he swims as fast as he can to the shore in Galilee to follow Jesus. So he follows Jesus for three years, and then this particular instance, they come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast as Jews would. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. So so here's, here's kind of a, a scenario that happens as they're in the, the Passover feast. Starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon. So the, picture this. They're sitting around uh, a meal. They're having the Passover meal together. This is dinner time conversation. He says, Simon, Simon, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord... I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says this, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. So there's this, there's this deep reality that Peter is not who he thinks he is. See, Jesus knows Peter, but Peter doesn't know himself. 
So at this point, you know, or in all of history, Jesus has never lied before. So what Jesus says, Peter begins to realize this is true. And so they're around the meal and Peter's heart and mind begin to race because he realizes the reality of who he is. And just like you and I, sometimes we know something is sin, but we still get ourselves into it, don't we? Just the fact that we know it doesn't stop us from doing it because we have this thing called the flesh that just loves to sin. And so Jesus knows this about Peter. And so what we see is that Jesus prays, and then they go out of this upper room. They, 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 they go out of the upper room, they go through the city of Jerusalem, they go across the Kidron Valley, out of the city gates, and over to their favorite place to pray. Jesus would always take his disciples here. It was this little garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And that it was there that they began to pray that night that Jesus would be betrayed. And, and, and Jesus charges them to, hey, pray. Don't, don't lose heart. Stay up and to pray with me. Listen to what I have for you. And that's where we pick up in John 18. So these guys come to take Jesus away. And here's Peter, the reality of who Peter is coming to life right here. So John chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So starting in verse 13. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, whose high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So Peter's able to come in. Then here's where it all starts. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of that man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings, and Jesus answered, I have spoke openly to the world, as I always taught in the synagogues, then in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I've said. They know what I've said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said this, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. It's important for us to sit in the reality of the fact that Peter denied Jesus in the same way you and I have denied him with our lives. I want you to check out the side screens. It's just this movie clip from a movie called The Passion of the Christ that illustrates this so perfectly. So set in the weight and the depth of this as we watch this.
it's, it's a weighty thing, and this is something we would usually talk about on Good Friday and not Easter. But here's the reality. <clears throat> if we haven't in our heart decided what are we going to do with the naked, bloody man on the cross that said he died for us, we've got to be confronted by that reality. And Peter, just like you and I, finds himself as a shadow man. I want to look quickly just at the characteristics of people that live in the shadows. And we see this from the life of Peter. The first one is this, is there's an overconfidence in the flesh. So we see Peter say things like, hey, Jesus, no matter what, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go that far for you. Jesus, I'll never deny you. And if we're in this place where we have this overconfidence in our flesh, where we're not willing to, to, to kind of acknowledge the fact that Jesus actually had to come and die for us, then it's probably difficult for us to admit the fact that we have sin in our lives. And so if that's you in here today, I think the invitation is to be needy of Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus' redemption. We need the reality of the cross and the reality of the resurrection to come bear upon our lives. We also see, number two, that there was a failure to pray in temptation. So Jesus asked the disciples to, to pray, and all they can do is sleep. And so there's this, there's this focus that they have in weakness to look to themselves instead of to Jesus, to think that they could handle it or they know what's best in those moments. And lastly, there's a distance from Jesus. And I want to park on this uh, for a second. So when Jesus was taken into custody, the disciples all fled. And the Scriptures say when, when the shepherd is struck, the, the sheep will scatter. Well, Peter thought of himself, that won't be me. That'll be everyone else, but that won't be me. And what do we see Peter doing as Jesus is taken into custody? He's beginning to be flogged and scourged. And he's making his way to the crosses. Peter is following at a distance. He's following at a distance. He's not following right behind him because then he would be associated with the fact that this, this man who said he was the king of the Jews is, is, is getting ready to bear this cross and die a humiliating and weak death. He wasn't willing to acknowledge the fact that he needed that. Peter failed to see that he needed Jesus to be the suffering servant that we talked about last week. He failed to see that. And so my question for you in here today is this. What have you done with Jesus? What do, you, what do you do with the man that's on the cross that says he's dying for you? What do you do with him? The thing that I love about Jesus is in John 13, 1, the Scriptures say that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. The interesting thing about this is Jesus says this before he prophesies that Peter's going to deny him, Peter's, Judas is going to betray him, everything's going to kind of go awry. He says, having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. Jesus knows exactly what's about to go down. In my life and in your life, Jesus knows exactly where you're at right now. What you've done with him or what you haven't done with the naked bloody man on the cross that said he died for you. Having loved them, he loved them to the end. So my question is this, what does it look like for Jesus to love us to the end even though that we deny him time and time again? Turn a few pages over to John chapter 21. Let's see how things wrap up and how the resurrection of Jesus becomes a reality in Peter's life. The moment that the light bulb comes on and, and the, the switch is flipped, what does it look like in Peter's life? So we're going to walk through John 21 as we, as we close this out this morning. So I'm going to read this, and we're going to, I'm going to read a little, talk a little as we go through this. So John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. 
After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, all right, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So let's stop right there for a second. Peter goes fishing. Why would Peter go fishing? Well, before Peter was a follower of Jesus, when he left his nets, he was a fisherman. That's where, that's where Peter met Jesus, was on the Sea of Galilee. Peter's going back to his old life because he thinks that he's done too much for Jesus to love him. The look that he had in his eye when he saw Jesus being taken away. And I, I have to imagine that they really did make eye contact in that moment when, G, when Peter is standing in the shadows, kind of half lit, uh, half in the darkness. He was going back to his old life because he thought that God could never love him again. He'd heard some, some truths about the resurrection, um, but it hadn't really set in for him. The resurrection wasn't a reality in his heart yet. So he goes back to his nets. He goes back to fishing. Verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have any fish? I think this is Jesus kind of being sarcastic here, right? He knows he doesn't have, they don't have any fish. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now the interesting thing about that is it's exactly the same thing Jesus did when he first met them. They hadn't caught anything. He says, hey, cast it on the other side of the boat. They catch all these fish. So Jesus is being Jesus. And so everything starts to click at this moment, right? Everything starts to click. Hey, that's not just a stranger standing on the beach. I think that's Jesus. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's uh, the Apostle John just being humble and talking about himself there. Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When, Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, typical Peter fashion, we see him kind of come into action here. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards. So what's significant about what's happening here with Jesus and his disciples? So there's a strange man on the beach. You know, I, I kind of picture it being a morning kind of like this morning, where it's kind of dreary outside. The sun hasn't yet baked off all of the, uh, all of the mist. It's kind of hard to see. They'll probably see a shadow, kind of a, a figure over there, and they're kind of trying to see who this Jesus guy is, who this guy is on the, the shore. And then Jesus says something all of a sudden that, that strikes uh, their attention, something that would have been familiar to them. And, and John says, hey, that's Jesus. I know that, I know that voice I know that reality that we have fish now. We, we'd been toiling all night. We hadn't caught anything. And so Peter jumps in and swims to the shore. You see, the voice of Jesus is enough for Peter to forget the fact that he failed him. The fact that Jesus shows up on the beach again is an incredible reality to Peter's heart. I denied you. I left you. And here you are showing up on the beach. Here you are cooking breakfast as we're, we're getting ready to read. Here you are showing up in my life again, even though I've rejected you. So let's continue reading in verse 9 here. When they had got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. I want you to remember that. 
with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. That's an interesting uh, thing to include, right? 153 fish. There it is. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Those had to be the most beautiful words that the disciples could ever hear before. Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised. So here's, Jesus has this charcoal fire prepared on the beach. Now what happened the night a few weeks ago when Peter rejects Jesus? Peter is, you remember Peter is warming his hands by this charcoal fire. So the smell of the burning charcoal would have flooded Peter's memory of these thoughts of rejecting and denying Jesus. Not only that, they, they, were, on, they were on the shore of Galilee, and, and when I was in Israel recently, I had the opportunity to see really where they thought this might have happened. And it was so close to the place where they believed that, that Jesus fed the 5,000. And what did he feed them with? With loaves and with fish. What does Jesus have sitting on the fire? He's cooking some fish. He's got some bread. I, I have to imagine that their minds would have went to the fact the day that they saw Jesus provide for 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple fish. I mean, the, the memories that this must have struck up for Peter. And then he says, hey, come and have breakfast with me. Come and dine with me. Now, where was the last time that they actually spent time with Jesus? It was in the upper room, and they were having the Passover meal together. And that was, when, that was the craziest family dinner you've ever seen before, Okay. I mean, you got a guy that rejects him, a guy that told he's going to deny him, and then they leave. And Jesus shares all of these kind of things that blow their mind. But here we have Jesus on the shore inviting them back to the table. Come and dine with me. Come and share life with me. You guys all flocked away whenever I was going to the cross. Whenever that reality was, was, was coming to pass, you all went away from me. But now he's saying, come, come and dine with me with me. Jesus, Jesus meets Peter in his sin. I don't know about you, but whenever I, I see sin in my life, the last thing that I think is true is that Jesus is meeting me in the middle of it. As you leave today, I don't want you to forget the fact that Jesus says in John 13, 1, that having loved them, he loved them to the end. Jesus meets us right in the midst of our sin. He meets us he meets us as we're betraying Him, as we're denying Him. And He comes back to us. He keeps coming back to us because of this idea of the resurrection that sin has been put in the grave and now grace is available to all who would believe in Him. And then we have this painful restoration scene in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. This is the part of the story where Jesus puts the scrubs on, enters into the operating room of Peter's heart. He's having open-heart surgery with his beloved brother, Peter. And here's how it goes down, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's pointing to the other disciples. Because that's what Peter said. Hey, if all of them fall away, I'm not going to fall away. He's bringing that back up. 
And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying all of this, what does Jesus say to Peter? The same thing that he said the first time. Follow me. There's so much in here that I wish I could go after with us. I'm just going to hit a couple high points. How does Jesus address Peter when he comes to him on the beach? You see, in John 1.42, he had changed Peter's name. It used to be Simon, he changed it to Peter. When Jesus comes back to him on the beach, he addresses him as what? Simon. He's using his old name because Peter is living in the flesh. He's living like, like his old self. And so Jesus begins to pursue him more deeply. He asks him the same question three times with growing intensity. Why does he ask him three times? Because Peter denied him three times. See, Jesus has to get to the bottom of Peter's sin. Peter has to get to the bottom of his sin and see that Jesus has met him there and given him brand new life. I'm reminded of some words by a pastor by the name of Brian Chappell. He says this, redemptive pain is still pain, but it's not punishment though. Redemptive pain is still pain, even though it feels like pain, it's not punishment. When, 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 when God presses His grace down into the crevices of our hearts that are unreached, it is a very painful process because He's putting something back together that has been broken for a very long time. Jesus is willing to enter in. Think about the sequence of what's going down here. When Peter denies Jesus, there's kind of three elements at play. He says, okay, follow me. So Peter follows him. Then all of a sudden, the cross comes onto the scene, right? The cross comes onto the scene, and what does Peter do? He denies him. All three of those elements are in play in John 21, except in reverse order, because Jesus is meeting Peter exactly where he's at. So we start with the denial. Peter, you denied me. That's what we're dealing with right now. This is painful, but we're going to enter into this. We're going to do this thing because I love you so much. So we start with the denial. Then he moves to the cross. Okay, Peter, here's the kind of death you're going to die, bro. You're going to go on a cross just like me. So that oath that you swore, even if I have to die, well, you're going to die for my cause. And as he sits in the weight and the pain of that, what does Jesus say at the very end of that? the most beautiful words that you and I could ever hear. Follow me. Follow me. Even though you've done all of these things, Peter, I have met you in the midst of it and I have extended my grace to you. You can follow me. And this is what the gospel does, church. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is being surgically applied to Peter's life. 
He is opening his heart and taking it to the crevices of his soul. Isn't it funny how Jesus always puts his finger on our issue? Whatever it is. He always puts his finger right on the spot of unbelief. And for Peter, it was the fact that he wanted a different kind of Jesus. For you, it might be different. Whatever you're dealing with today. But I can bet you this, by God's Spirit, He's putting His finger right on the spot that's touching your heart. The spot of darkness in your life that you want to run away from the light in. But having loved His own, He loves them to the end. This is what He did with Peter. This is what He does with us. And so as we close our time together today, we're going to close with the same way that Jesus met His disciples on the beach over a meal. We're going to enter into a time of worshiping our Lord through taking communion together. And the reality of the table is this, is that because Jesus continues to come to us and invites us to the table, we know that our sin doesn't scare Him off. So I don't know what you're dealing with today. I could go down a list of things that might touch on some issues. But here's the thing, we're all struggling and dealing with sin, and everything inside of us says, go hide, go run away from it. But everything that Jesus does brings us to light. He, br- he brings the exposure that we need to walk in the freedom and the truth of God's grace. And so the invitation today is to come into the light as He is in the light. And the glorious thing about the resurrection is this. Jesus deals with our sin on the cross, having paid for our sin. And then He buries it in the grave. And then when He raises from the dead, He leaves our sin in the grave. So the invitation is to come and to follow Him. To come and dine with Jesus. So let's pray together as we move toward the table. Father, I thank You that You you don't deny us when we deny You. That You come to us and You love us. And Father, I know that that we are all over the map in this, in this room today on how we see You and how we, we choose to follow You or not follow You. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would, put, you would put Your finger on the issue in our hearts this morning. And that we would see that, that Your grace goes down deep for us. And the truth of the resurrection is so rich in our hearts because it, it covers every single thing that we've done when we have faith in You. So Father, as we, if we dine with you, we receive this invitation that you gave to your disciples on the beach in Galilee. Let us be reminded of the truth of how good you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.